Namo tasa bhagavato arato sama samudasa Namo tasa bhagavato arato sama samudasa Namo tasa bhagavato arato sama samudasa I will awaken quickly for the sake of all sentient beings and for all beings wisdom, compassion, and non-clingy awareness. So... Let's see how far we uh, get this evening. Any, any questions at all? Don't have to, just if they are arising, if they're important and strong and definite. And I see we've got someone missing. Uh, I'm going to come back to uh, reference to the path of freedom, the Vimuti Maga, and uh, some of you uh, may be familiar with this. I've taught from this a lot before, and you may have, have a copy and read it. Yeah, the text is about 1,800 old, years old. It was the uh, first um, meditation manual that arose in India in the Buddhist tradition of meditation as a complete manual for monastics, non-monastics, uh, yogis, yoginis. This is like the, the origin text. Uh, it ended up in China and Japan. Uh, this, is a, this is a translation back to the Pali from the Chinese and translated into English. It was lost in India, lost in Burma, lost in Sri Lanka, lost in Thailand with the Mongol invasions. Much of what's in here ended up as well in all the other transition, all the other traditions in ancient India, including, um, no question about it, you can read, when you read it, you see it, uh, into the Vajrayana tradition, into the uh, Tantric traditions. So this is, uh, as Namjoon Prashi said, this is the foundation um, text of hundreds and hundreds of years of uh, monastic, yogin, practitioner uh, beings uh, with the oral tradition finally uh, writing it down as a manual. This is this is the virtue. This is how you develop sila, um, virtue and uh, good good beingness. These are the practices. Uh, mental concentration of the forty classic meditations for developing mental concentration, depending on the type of being that you are. Partly as a manual for um, teachers. And then the third section is all insight meditations, with commentary, instructions signs and so on. Okay. At the beginning in this text, in the Vimuti Maga, which is bigger and came later, uh, it's a little bit later, but in this text, at the at the end, I think at the end of the is that right? Yeah, at the very beginning. Actually almost very similar to the um, actually very similar to the Vimuti Maga. Chapter five is called On Approaching a Good Friend. So I want to give you a flavor by reading to, to you some of this, uh, how ancient this tradition is and how some of the translations have gotten sloppy. And there's so much in this old text that's just so pointedly crisp and, and right on. And then we'll come back to the, the later text. So in the section on concentration, now it talks about a good friend which is the translation, so well, the Kalyanamitta. Then how is concentration brought out? All these 40 different 
subjects of meditation as classically taught. Answer, if a man or woman wishes to bring out concentration, he at first should approach a preeminent friend. You see? There it is right there, not a friend. And often you'll see later on, friend, friend. And then you get, you know, friend, like, like buddy, almost like buddy language. But actually it's not. Preeminent friend. Why, if at first, when a yogin wishes to accomplish excellent concentration, he dwells apart from a good friend, he will not acquire steadfastness. It is comparable to, I'm just moving around a little bit, not the whole thing. It is comparable to a man who sets out alone on a distant journey. None guides him. When a man sets out alone, does this sound familiar? Guess where it all comes from. When a man sets out alone, he is like an elephant that is not guided by a goad. Do you know what the goad? It's a metal probe, and it goes into the skin uh, on the top of the elephant by the mahut. I've actually done this. I've actually been on an elephant with a mahut and shown how to move the elephant this way and this way. And, and, and uh, well, they're, well, they're very well trained. So not guided by the goad. If, or, uh, if when a yogin practices, he listens to the discourses and instructions of a good friend. Now you see how this has happened in the translations? A good friend. But actually, Kalyanamitta means a preeminent friend. That's why I wanted to show you this, what happens in, in translations that I consider, uh, thank goodness for this, but I would consider a little bit sloppy that way because it's, now it's come into the West as one's friend, one's spiritual friend. And it gets very, what's the word, unrespectful for that relationship. So, instructions of a good friend. He is able to remove his many difficulties and get into the right method and practice. If he strenuously endeavors and strictly trains himself, then he is able to acquire excellent concentration, samadhi. Qualities of a good friend. A good friend who may, a good friend who may be likened to a wealthy chief of merchants, honored by all, to a kind, good-hearted person, to a dearly loved parent, steadies one as the chain of an elephant. So you have to think of your being, your, your mind, as the chain of an elephant. Hmm? And the uh, preeminent friend is there to control the elephant, like with a goat. Train you how to do that. A good friend, see? Good friend. A kalyanamitta, which is the actual word. On whom one relies and accomplishes all meritorious activities is like a mahout who causes the elephant to go backwards and forwards, is like a good road on which a man can take a yoke of oxen, like a physician who cures diseases and removes pain, like the rain from heaven which moistens everything, like a mother who nurses her child, like a father who guides his son, like parents who ward, ward, their, who ward their children from perils, and like a teacher who instructs his pupils. Therefore the Blessed One, that is the Buddha, declared to Ananda, quote, good companionship. See how this is happening? And the word actually in the translation is Kalyanamitta. Good companionship. Well, it could be anybody. It could be finding people in the forest grove they're nice to sit with. 
could be going down to Rec Beach uh, at UBC and hanging out and, and playing some music. And they're good, nice companions, right? That's not what it means. Good companions. Kalyana Mitra is the whole of the holy life. It's declared by the Buddha. So remember I mentioned that beginning? How does one become enlightened? Kalyanamitta, the eminent or the noble spiritual friend. Good, the, the spiritual friend or the Kalyanamitta is the whole of the holy life. Sakalam ewa hitiram ananda brahmacharyam yadidam kalyanta mitya kalyanta satyan satya kalyana Sampavankata, which is the which is the the um, Pali. Therefore, one should search for a preeminently good man, and make him the good friend. You see, it doesn't say that, does it? It uses Kalyanamitta, 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 right? In different ways. What is meant by preeminent good friend here? The fulfillment of acquisition. It's really cool. Wait till you hear this. This, this text, I love. The understanding, uh, uh, okay. here, the fulfillment of acquisition is the meaning of preeminent. Now the answer, he under, the understanding of the sutta, that is the discourses of the Buddha, the Abhidhamma, which is the insight tradition, manual of insight tradition of philosophy, and the Vinaya, which is the code of conduct and the history of the monastic order, is called fulfillment of acquisition. That's what you acquire. You acquire what's called the three baskets. So you acquire uh, the discourses, the meaning of the discourses. You acquire the uh, Abhidhamma, which is the insight um, tradition. Not, don't think of this philosophy. The insight tradition, uh, guidance, the manual of those, and the, uh, the oral tradition of that, and the code of conduct and precepts. Make sense? So you learn all those three, which is essentially this. It's called fulfillment of acquisition. One understands the seed. Now, the other aspect of the Kalyanamitta is understands the seed of kama, karma, and is endowed with beneficent worldly knowledge. One knows the Four Noble Truths. So this is the same in the other text. That is a being that can explain the Four Noble Truths. One can understand, learns about karma and its resultant. Has good knowledge, that is the, the meaning of guru, right? Weighty knowledge, right? Worldly knowledge, not just spiritual knowledge. It says right here, worldly knowledge. This is very important that the being actually has worldly knowledge because you might come to them with questions that have to do with your life how to sew your robe, how to sew your clothing, how to filter out dirty water in those days, right? All these kinds of things. What do you do with wild animals? How do you get through the forest? How do you, which, which, which herbs do you collect for your health? And these kinds of things. These two kinds of men are merit fulfillers. Cool, isn't it? These two kinds, that is the, the one that fulfills the the teachings of the sutta, the discourses, the abhidhamma, and the vinaya, the precepts, and the person that helps you with 
worldly knowledge and cause and effect, which is virtue, fulfills, helps you fulfill your meritorious storehouse. Interesting. Very clear. It doesn't change at all. It's exactly, but it's very put in a different way. They should be searched for. If these two kinds of merit fulfillers cannot be found, the fulfiller of seven qualities should be considered as a kalyanamitta. Such a man should also be searched for. What are the seven qualities? Lovableness, esteemableness, venerableness, the ability to counsel well, patience and listening, the ability to deliver deep discourses, and the not applying oneself to useless ends. What is lovableness? Uh, Led by two kinds of practice, a man preaches well, uh, teaches well, dwelling together happily, having come to a mutual understanding and not abusing one another. Esteemableness means that one is tranquilized through the action of virtue, fulfills the protection of mindfulness, is not over-desirous, and does not speak much. This is called esteemableness. Venerableness means that one is endowed with the merit of much learning and appreciates well the value of meditation. This is venerableness. The ability to counsel well means that one considers thus, quote, let my speech be lovable, esteemable, venerable, and fruitful, and benefits others and esteems the truth. These are now the details of what you would look for in a teacher. Therefore, one restrains oneself from things that ought not to be done. Thus, one observes to the end and does not forsake. This is called the ability to counsel well. Patience in listening means that one is like a saint, understands well, never hesitates in one's speech, and does not flatter. The rest of the sentence was was unreadable, unlegible in the text. Then it continues, this is called patience in listening. Just when it gets to the really, the text is missing. The ability to deliver deep discourses means that one well understands blank. This is called the ability to deliver deep discourses. Interesting. Lost in the text. The text was damaged all the way through this. Well, not all the way through, but different places. The not applying oneself to useless ends means that he understands well the place of karma. Because the more you understand the nature of cause and effect and liberation and how it happens, the less and less do you fritt away your life on useless things. This is a beautiful thing. So the greater your mindfulness and appreciation of dharma, the less fritted away time. Not because you've been told, don't fit away, because someone's going, don't waste your time and all these, you know, uh, finger wagging, right? But you appreciate that if you do this, it's beneficial. If you do this, it isn't. And more and more, you can feel the results. You go, I'm doing that. I'm not doing that. Hey, come on. Let's go to a party. Come on. Let's go to the beach for, you know. And then you might see going to the beach for 40 minutes or one hour is superb. But two or three hours and lying around, and what, what, I'm, not, I'm not giving numbers really. The energies fall. The mind gets busy. You come away going, wow, did I waste time? I just overdid it. Did, did you fall? So mindfulness and discrimination confers the ability not to waste one's life and other people's life. 
really does. And you need discrimination for that. Sort of reminds me, I, I, give, I like to come back to these craft analogies. Not wasting rough gemstone material because you're distracted for a half a second and the stone gets chopped away. And you now have half a stone. or a very precious coffee or tea and you're making it and something takes you away a couple of minutes because you're busy with something you come back and it's been over brewed and, and it's for somebody an honored guest and that just happens to be the last of the precious Darjeeling coffee or, or Darjeeling tea or do you, do you understand? because just for a few seconds somebody said came in the kitchen and said Gee, I really want to talk to you about what we're going to do next week and yeah really and, do, do you understand? This can, this can erode. But you know, a few times, okay. You say it's okay. But how about people that it's done all day long? So you, you have to do the work to come out of this. And the, and the, the supreme method, as I was taught and is classically taught, is there's no other antidote but increasing your discrimination and your mindfulness to a really high degree by what pops out, what gives energy, what decreases energy, what stirs up the mind, what makes the mind peaceful, what, what causes unwholesome actions to form, what causes good situations to build. Eh? And, and a lot of time you don't know this because what you think you're doing, because you've received the apps from culture or your friends and your family, is okay. Hey, I've been there, okay? I've, I've had to sort this out too. But uh, the noble spiritual friend, the, the um, eminent friend, uh, should be helping you with words of guidance occasionally, light, gentle, loving, strong, bold, authoritative, every once in a while, to move your mind to see this is a waste. It's a frit. It's a fritting away. Just fritting away. And you could do that. You could end up doing that for five or ten years. This is really important. Not just the meditation subject. Why? Because the preeminent friend should have lived enough life and sorted that out to, to help you about life practical. Say, no, don't do this. Go, go that way. Go that way. This is important. Thus the seven qualities are completed. These the qualities of a Kalyanamitta who should be searched for. Now let's consider what's happening today. When they come to Vancouver, I'll go visit them because it's a short drive across the city. I get this all the time. So when, when are you coming back? And then I'll come to class. I'll sign up. When they come to Toronto or New York or San Francisco, then you kind of drop in and check it out. Oh, yeah. Hey. You need to search out the teacher. You may have to travel halfway across the world or all the way around the world, right, to go to Precious Teachings. I know people who tell me, um, I need to find a teacher uh, in my home city. I go, why? 
well, so I can, they're there for me. You've, you've blown it. Sometimes just out of compassion, I go, mm-hmm. well, you can take a look at the yellow pages or go on the internet, just out of compassion, but, but out, of, out of love for that delusion. But um, better really to say, good luck. Or as one of my friends who's a Dharma teacher goes, you failed, goodbye. Does. Just says to people, you failed. See you. Just failed. Just blew it. He'll just say that. You just blew it. Failed. This is misunderstood completely. Right? Some of you have traveled, yes? Considerable distances to study with teacher. This is good. Some of you have not. But you are capable and have and will, I, I'm quite sure, because I look around the room, you're strong beings. Yes? It's good. You know, I went to Toronto not long ago, I think it was last year or the year before, and they invited me to give an evening class in Toronto. So the group, the group there, all kinds of people came. And I was talking for a while, and whatever I'm talking about, something to do with liberation, something like this. And after a while I said, we're talking about this whole, not this whole thing. I said, actually, most of you don't deserve a teacher. I just said that. You don't deserve a teacher. Because I know most, most of you, year after year, just wait here for a teacher to show up. You don't go out to search for a teacher. You're not going halfway around the world or going to New Zealand or Africa or wherever it is to actually participate in teaching or be with a teacher, attend a teacher. I say, you don't have the merit. You actually lack the merit. You'll maybe go to the Dharma Center. You know, it's two and a half hours. You go here and there. But you actually don't have the merit for Dharma. I was serious. I meant it. Funny thing, they, were either, they invited me back. It's a very odd, odd behavior, wouldn't you say, by humans? Do you get it? I don't get it. Do you get it, Greg? I don't get it. Strange. Then it describes how to search. We don't need to go through that, but how to search. Things like, in such and such a country, in such and such a monastery, in such and such a place of meditation set apart for the order, such and such a teacher of meditation is honored by all. Go find them. Yeah. So this is what you have to do. You might have to crisscross the country, all over, all over, until you meet the being that fulfills that, that, that match. Right? So they tell you exactly how to do it. They actually tell you how to do it. The actual language you use, how you address somebody, how you ask questions about it, and even then when you meet the teacher, they actually describe how you sit before them, how you ask questions. For instance, when you go for a meditation subject, you don't ask for a meditation subject immediately. You ask, what could I do for you? This is all of the etiquettes here. So they tell you how to do it. Do not ask for a meditation subject immediately. Say, may I attend to you? Is there something I can do? And then you go and you do things. Eventually you get around to the purpose, which is, would, honored sir, would you please direct me in meditation? But it's, it's actually the etiquette is here. Things like this. Should the teacher of meditation question the yogin, he expresses his desire. If the teacher of meditation does not question, the yogin should not speak. Thereupon he should ask for tooth sticks and water for washing and should use them in the proper way. In other words, go about your chores. It's very, very formal. Very, very, very formal. I'm not suggesting you, you do that, but I'm just saying it's, it's very old, very 1,800 years old, very formal way in which 
uh, monks and monastics would address each other and the way in which you went before a precept or a meditation teacher and so on. Okay? Just to give you an idea of that. This is a wonderful text. Written by an enlightened being, by Arahat Upatisa. So it's, it drips with just common sense, straightforwardness, and profound uh, insight realization. Let's continue on with the text. Uh, we were at, uh, left off, last, last episode, we left off with, therefore you should attend spiritual masters who are like guides, escorts, or boatmen. As I said before, uh, in the Tibetan tradition, Vajrayana tradition, and Mahayana tradition, they don't use Kalyanamitta over and over again. They use spiritual master. Whereas before, it was the uh, eminent friend, mostly for, often for meditation um, subjects, or um, um, uh, an eminent friend for he, uh, hearing discourses, learning about discourses, studying the Dharma, uh, and then of, of um, behavior, coded behavior. Now, number two, classification. Uh, you, I think you'll find this uh, highly... Have you read this? You've all read this? Yeah? I find this highly interesting. Classification, number two. There are four classifications of spiritual masters. One, the ordinary spiritual master. Two, the bodhisattva spiritual master who has attained certain bhumis, at certain stages of the bodhisattva path of liberation. That means fulfilled two aspects, of which there's ten stages, two aspects, both the aspect of uh, realization of emptiness to a certain degree and fulfilled aspects of, of um, compassion, uh, ability to enact compassion. And each one is attended by an increasing depth of meditative concentration to the point where it says classically by the eighth stage out of ten uh, there is no more impediment to any meditative concentration. It's some broken by the eighth stage. So each one is defined by its... You'll see it later, if you, unless you've skipped ahead, but it's fine. You'll see, it's quite extraordinary how it's described, uh, both realization of emptiness, uh, scope of compassion, and the samadhis that are, that are, are possible. Okay. The Nirmanakaya spiritual master and the Sambhogakaya spiritual master. So if you would write these uh, words on the board there, Raphael. Um, everybody familiar with Bodhisattva? Being of Bodhi, being of enlightenment. But it means actually Maha, Bodhisattva. Great. This is short form. When it says Bodhisattva here, it means Maha Bodhisattva. They took off the Maha, just shorter. Because all of you are Bodhisattvas, by definition. I'm, just be, I'm speaking absolutely technically. All of you are bodhisattvas, even if you haven't experienced the first bhumi of, of a bodhisattva, first um, ground bodhisattva, because you're actually in the stream of liberating uh, for yourself and all beings. You've enacted that. At least most of you have. You have. You're all, all like that. Uh, so you're a bodhisattva. So in definition, they define a bodhisattva. You may not have actually established or come to a ground um, of one of the, uh, one of the um, bhumis, but actually, so they used the word maha bodhisattva, great bodhisattva. But what happened is after a while, they took that out, out of the text, so they just used the word bodhisattva. So the word bodhisattva means a maha bodhisattva. Uh, let's write the word bhumi, just, just so it's up there. Bhumi, 
grounds, often translated as grounds, B-H-U-M-I, Bhumi. And let's write, uh, yes, Nirmanakaya, Sambhogakaya. We'll leave, it, we'll leave it like that for now. You've looked at all, all these words, have you? Not yet? Okay. And the words are together, by the way. Kaya and Nirmana. It's okay. They're, they're, they're one word. In, in Sanskrit, when you read the Sanskrit texts, they don't separate out the words. It just goes on and on and on. You have to know where the separations are. So, one of the fun things about Sanskrit. Unless it's, if it's transliterated or brought into the Roman script, it's broken up. But it's not broken up. Like that's one word. But that's all right. Okay. So, these four types are related to an individual spiritual realizations. So let's, let's just remember it. The ordinary spiritual master, number two, the bodhisattva spiritual master who has attained certain bhumis, number three, the nirmanakaya spiritual master, and number four, the sambhogakaya spiritual master, of which one is each going to be enumerated now and described. These four types are related to an individual spiritual realizations. When one is ordinary or just beginning, one cannot attend Buddhas and Bodhisattvas who have attained higher levels as spiritual masters. So one attends an ordinary spiritual master. There's not sufficient merit, not sufficient recognition of awakeness, not sufficient, uh, there's, there's too much delusion, not enough purification. So the only being that you could attend and go study with uh, is a being who has, who is what's called an ordinary spiritual master, who actually doesn't have very much realization. May know texts, may actually have, as it says in the Path of Freedom, actually in the Vimuti Maga, the later one, uh, where the Buddha defines, actually maybe in that, the Buddha defines who you can study with. It's quite cool. Really neat. He actually lays out who you can study with. He says, listen, if you want a meditation instruction, come to me. I'm a Buddha. He said, well, if you can't find me or I'm passed away, then you can actually go and see any of my, something like 80, this is just out of memory, 80 senior disciples. And if you can't see, this goes all the way through, and if you can't see the 80 senior disciples, then it's just fine to see any one of the, of the beings who is an anagaman, an arhat anagaman, just lays it out, once returner, sakadagaman, uh, satapana, and if you can't find one of those, someone who's experienced in meditation and has good virtue and has studied the text and, and, and has attended uh, many teachers, and it goes on and on and on. And then eventually, if you can't find one of those, someone who doesn't really meditate much but knows the text and can instruct you, but is a, something like a virtuous being that is respectful of the teachings and won't corrupt them all the way through this long, 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 long list. And this is actually what this is. This is, a, this is a Mahayana, Vajrayana list of what constitutes studying with a, a spiritual master. All the way from that tradition where the Buddha actually spells out in the suttas uh, what you're looking for. Yes? So what does it mean when it says that you can't find them? Is it because if, if you're you're like a beginner that you don't recognize? Yeah, you may, you may actually go to a talk or you may 
uh, go to a talk and the, the being is quite ordinary or not ordinary, it doesn't matter, and you simply can't recognize that. So you go and maybe, maybe a corporation, I'm just, you can get what I'm talking about here. You go to your corporation has a maybe a visiting meditation teacher on mindfulness or something, and that's really good. You go, you go this is for me. This is for me. Or maybe a meditation given in a yoga class somewhere in downtown Vancouver. You lie on the floor, you relax, whatever it is, and you go, this is for me. I like this. I know lots of millions. Very good. That's called an ordinary um, teacher. Why? They don't have the realization. Uh, they may never have, actually many, never have done actually any retreat work, real retreat work. I met someone who's, who um, uh, runs an institution in another country for healing and therapy purposes that runs mindfulness workshops and asked me if maybe they should do a retreat sometime. Never done a retreat. Just did, I think, a one-week or one-weekend course on mindfulness and now instructs it and by the way very difficult very very difficult time in life but was saying to me well you know I'm kind of curious what do you, what do you think do you think I should do like a, a retreat and I said that would be very good do you see what I mean but that doesn't mean that someone doesn't derive great benefits so I'm not putting it down they're just laying it out and saying don't, don't, make, don't make the mistake they're saying the thing so you have to actually have the merit to be able to recognize not even necessarily consciously so, for instance, uh, how about this? You go to a talk to the Dalai Lama, who's a great bodhisattva, and you go, boy, I'd really like to study with him. Try, try, to, try to do that. Try to actually have the personal time where you can get interviews, you can get gu- personal guidance, and so on. This is not going to be so easy. Chances are, see Lama so-and-so, see Lama so-and-so, very, very good. You see Lama so-and-so. Or a quick talk, or maybe one interview. So this one, very very busy guy. Yes. So to have the merit to attend an enlightened being, a greatly enlightened being, one has to have tremendous merit to do that. To attend, to attend talks, to give service, to have conversations, to encounter, and that's why it says in the old text in the. Buddhist time, if, you, if a being stumbled and fell over an arahat, they simply would not recognize that that's occurred. They kicked them probably. Get out of my way. So you, you actually have to have a lot of merit to be able to um, attend or study or be with a um, different degrees of realization. Otherwise it doesn't happen. It just won't happen. Even when you get in the front door, sometimes. Won't get in. Won't happen. When one's karmic obscurations, that is, one's activity, storehouse of activity and resultants, uh, when one's, um, we'll say karmic, obscurations are more purified, one can attend a bodhisattva spiritual master who has attained higher levels, as one of the, the bhumis of the, of the path. After one accomplishes the great accumulation path, one can attend a nirmanakaya spiritual master. That really means, we'll get into this, what, what it means, but a being, a living, awake being, a, a Buddha, a fully awakened being, or a highly, highly attained being in physical form. 
And then we have when one attains the bodhisattva level, at one of the bodhisattva levels, one of the bodhisattva bhumis, one can attend a Sambhogakaya spiritual master, which is a radiant form, a light being who is a fully awakened or a fully awakened being. By the way, Nirmanakaya and Sambhogakaya mean uh, greatly, greatly awakened or fully awakened. All right? That is a Buddha body. So the Buddha body would not would be seen as a body of light. That can be in dream or in waking uh, life. Number three, characteristics of each classification. Now in detail. Ah, sorry, I missed an entire paragraph. Of these four, who is the greatest benefactor? When we are in the obscuring darkness of the karma afflicting emotions, we have no opportunity to even see the face of a superior spiritual master, so how could we attend one? By meeting ordinary spiritual masters, receiving the light of their teachings, and shining it on the paths, one will gain the opportunity to see the superior spiritual masters. In other words, uh, build it up. One builds it up. Either, either in this lifetime or over lifetimes, one gains merit to actually be able to see, uh, attend, attend talks, um, attend uh, a service uh, in the presence of, uh, gain guidance, direct guidance from uh, different um, beings. Yeah? So listen to this fantastic statement. Therefore, the greatest benefactor for us is the ordinary spiritual master. So don't go like this. The only person I'm going to be able to get my meditation guidance and spiritual guidance is the Dalai Lama, you know, because you know, or or so and so, or so and so and so 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 and so. They're saying right here. Start where you start, depending on your merit, but have your eyes open what that being is, and over time it allows you to open the doors. To two different beings. But they're saying that that ordinary spiritual master is very, very valuable. In Vajrayana, it says, if you can't treat them and see them as a Buddha, then you're, you don't have a hope in age anyways. So that's where it must start. You must gain great merit. Number three, characteristics of each classification. A, Nirman, now they're going to reverse it. They're going to start with Nirmanakaya, and Sambhogakaya spiritual masters. So it's just good to have these words up here. Basically, the Nirmanakaya is the physical embodiment form of a Buddha body. Got it? The Sambhogakaya form is a radiant light body of celestial bliss as an awakened manifestation. Most beings, very few beings, actually get to see this. You have to have enough merit enough insight to be able to actually see those entities. I'm not talking about imagination, fantasy. It's actually meet those, those entities. Could you say one more time? A radiant light being? Radiant. A radiant, a bliss, celestial bliss being that actually has profound attainment. That means it's like a body, a body of light. But it's not just an angel or anything like that. It's actually a... Uh, a form, like a yadam, seen as a, as, a, as a full emanation of light that actually can convey and teach uh, dharma, transmit dharma. Not so common. 
not the same thing as having a visualization or a fantasy or a vivid fantasy or a daydream or maybe an ordinary dream. It has to be quite extraordinary to have the real meeting. But it happens, happens. Okay. Having purified the two obscurations, Buddha embodies the perfection of the purifications. Possessing the two omniscient wisdoms, he embodies the perfection of primordial wisdom. I'll check that note again. I was just saying that they're, they're considered together. Both these are considered together, both as enlightened forms. B. Bodhisattvas, Bodhisattvas spiritual masters. Bodhisattvas spiritual masters who have attained higher levels from the first to the tenth Bhumi possess very... By the way, the Bhumis, if you don't know the Bhumis, that's okay, you get there. They're all listed in detail uh, at the end of the text. So that's the last, pretty much the last final section of the book is laying out the Bhumis in detail. Possessing various amounts of wisdom and purification. In particular, bodhisattvas who attain levels above the eighth possess ten powers to benefit other beings. The power, So these are now, they're now telling you uh, what that character, what the characteristics of the potential good that master could do if they have reached or established in the eighth bhumi. The power over life, that actually means they can resuscitate a life, a being that's dead. A being that's dead. Animals, humans, they can actually bring them back to life. Provision of necessities, that means they can make that happen which is necessary to happen. Cause or action. They understand cause and effect and they can actually shift karma because they understand it. Birth. Actually alter birth. Understand birth like dreaming means taking birth. Actually be able to consciously take birth at this point. Maybe not completely fully, but they can actually affect um, birth, a change over birth and death. Uh, masterful with intentions, that is, they're aware of intentions and the force of intentions, and they've purified their intentions. But that also means they understand other beings' intentions. So you have to understand, this is not just their birth, other beings' births. What is birth? What is death? Very clearly. And intentions, they know other beings' intentions. They, they can not just read minds, but they just know what the intent is of minds. Um, aspiration prayers. They can actually make prayers and they work. Now you're going to ask me, 100% of the time, 80% of the time, 70% of the time, 60% of the time, 40% of the time, 30% of the time. I don't have a clue. So I'm not, you know. But uh, it means they actually can help beings develop aspiration, help beings invoke prayer, and they themselves can manifest that level of prayer. 
miracles. They can enact miracles, they have uh, psych psychic powers, or some psychic powers. Uh, but uh, the more and more, more and more psychic powers also come from more and more practice of the inner yoga. So some beings have very, very good experience of emptiness and um, compassion, but not so hot on the psychic power front. That, that actually takes uh, practice and, and uh, a lot of inner yoga. Wisdom awareness. It's good, eh? Lots and lots of wisdom awareness. And dharma. That is a profound understanding of dharma and, and helping other people uh, gain understanding of dharma. Now let's see what they say. Power over life means one can live as long as one wishes. Well, that's not always how I, I've understood it, but supposedly, although the text says one can't. So, so uh, the text says you can't live as long as you want and someday you're going to die. And this one says you can live as long as you want. Uh, I'll let you sort that out. I don't have first-hand knowledge of that. I, I don't know anybody who's lived as long as they want, and uh, I haven't met three or four or five hundred year olds or a thousand year olds. Do they exist? Uh, there is one documented case in China of a 250 year old man, Qigong master, and documented by the communist Chinese, which, are, which were very skeptical of this being, but they actually um, did the interviews, traced him down, uh, found out about him, were trying to um, spend more time with him, if you know what I mean. And he just—he he disappeared, vanished, just vanished. He just walked away, just walked away in the, into the mountains, disappeared. It's a wonderful story, but it's a well—it's a well-documented story of a of a great Qigong master, who was practicing longevity and knew all these people, these emperor, you know, these different beings, and could name who they were and where they went, and all these different uncles and aunts, everybody, and just. So, is it possible? Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely possible. Being lots of reports of people that have lived. Extraordinary, but they practice longevity practices. So it can be done. Power over mind means one can maintain meditative concentration as long as one wishes. Power over provision of necessities means one can shower down a rain of limitless necessities on sentient beings. That, that means that one can show beings how to bring about the necessities one needs for spiritual work. Do you understand? Either demonstrate it, bring it about. Well, I can't get there because I have no air ticket. Oh. There you go. Uh, well, yes, but now I have no uh, gasoline for the car. Use my visa. Uh, well, don't have a car. What's that sitting around the corner there? So that, that can man manifest a shower of arisings that support beings to liberate and um, give them necessities, you know, whether it's clothing or whatever. Can can make that manifest. That's what that is. Power over cause means one can shift the effects of karma from one particular life to another sphere world, realm, or birth. So it's a masterful <coughs> display of karma, uh, understanding cause and effect. Um, uh, really the ability to, to move from sphere to sphere, um, craft um, birthings. Power over cause? No. Power over birth means one can maintain meditative concentration and if born, 
in desire world, one will not be affected by it faults. It means you act, actually um, can cross over through birth-death with um, conscious ability. In other words, at, at death, one doesn't swoon. So one can take um, conscious rebirth or can go from realm to realm to realm to realm to realm. Great bodhisattvas. Power over intentions means that one can change whatever one wishes into earth, water, fire, and so forth. Yes, but that, that, that uh, alteration of the dhatus of the elements is alteration of intent of mind, and one can do that oneself. That means you can shape, shape things, bring things about, but you can also affect the intention of other people by altering the intention. It doesn't have to be done always by psychic power. It's just done by suggestion. A word of the wise. For instance, we were in a um, uh, old, very old retreat center in Ladakh, uh, Atisagampa, way, way up about thirteen half thousand feet, something like that, and staying there. And the uh, uh, young lama that was there um, showed me where. Uh, uh, a, uh, a being who had done a three-year retreat, they had no water. The water dried up for a TC comp and the, and, the, and the not villagers, their herdsmen living there, and showed me the actual source of stream where they, the uh, local people requested uh, him to find water. So he actually went and found the water and stuck a staff in there and got the water to flow. So this, this kind of thing just, just came out of retreat. and just There you go. You need water? Here's water. Uh, you know, these are the kinds of things. Uh, changing the weather, affecting changes in the weather, um, uh, ending famines, producing food, all, all kinds of things like this. But, but also, it's in ordinary day life, it's being able to affect changes in the um, elemental balance within beings and within form and, uh, and uh, bring about things to happen. Power over aspiration prayers means that if one aspires to perfectly benefit oneself and others, it will be accomplished. And as one gains greater attainment, more of those instances happen more and more and more and more and more and more and more. 100%? And then power over miracles means one can exhibit innumerable manifestations in order to cause sentient beings to be interested in the spiritual path. Good magician. Uh, it can be very helpful at times. Power over wisdom awareness means one has perfected the understanding of phenomena, their meaning, the definition of words, and confidence over the nature of mind and phenomena. Deep confidence. And of course, that gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Power over Dharma means that in an instant, bodhisattvas can fully satisfy all the sentient beings according to their dispositions and in their different languages through words and groupings of letters based on many different types of sutras and so forth. In other words, you can, uh, it's a being that can actually satisfy beings through discourse and not just satisfy them in terms of logic or whatever, but can explain it, can provide meaning, can provide depth, can explain uh, fully and deeply uh, different textual meanings and, 
and and um, uh, as a living as a living experience. Uh, C ordinary spiritual masters. There are three types of ordinary spiritual masters: those who possess eight qualities, those who possess four qualities, and those who possess two qualities. Pretty standard, eh? Greater, middling, and lesser. You'll, you'll see this all the way through text, a text all the way through. Greater, middling, and lesser. This is a standard, standard way. Concerning the first one, the Bodhisattva Bhumi says the text. One should understand that a bodhisattva who has eight qualities is a perfect spiritual master. What are the eight? One who possesses the moral ethics of a bodhisattva, is learned in the bodhisattva's teachings, possesses realization, possesses compassion and kindness, possesses fearlessness, possesses patience, possesses an indefatigable mind, that is, a non-tiring mind. That's a word I have difficulty with. Indefatigable. That's actually how it's broken. It's a non-fatiguing mind, a non-tiring mind, and is expert in verbal expression. That's the eight which constitute a perfect spiritual master. The second, now we're down to the second one, is describing the ornament of Mahayana Sutra, possessing great scholarship and dispelling doubt. Whatever he says or she says, is acceptable, distinguishing the two realities. This is uh, ultimate and relative. Uh, that which is virtuous and that which is unvirtuous. Being able to, to show those. This is a perfect bodhisattva spiritual master. So you see how it's, it's often done this way. So certain features and then the other features are to do with virtue. So they, they often differentiate this virtue which is merit and insight wisdom, which is dharma, meaning, meditation, uh, different kinds of instruction. So this is often, you'll see this again and again, separated out. These are the two baskets, the two collections that one needs is merit and wisdom. Merit and wisdom. And a teacher displays different quantities and flavors of those two. Sometimes they're very heavy on the wisdom, a little bit weaker on the virtue. Very heavy on the virtue, a little lighter on the wisdom. Do you see that? One idly wants to get those two collections perfectly balanced and perfectly manifested. Then you have a full Buddha. So this is this is not so such a long, this is not such a small task to, to have these. And a teacher, a a spiritual teacher should be looking at that, this is my own feeling, I'm, I'm giving you personal, um, my personal view, should be not necessarily thinking about this, but they perceive a being in terms of the weaknesses on the merit side and the weaknesses on the uh, emptiness realization or the wisdom side and keep going back and forth with the being. Some beings are stronger in one or the other or very weak in both or very weak in one, and it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Because wisdom realization is built on merit, and greater merit is built on wisdom realization. Do you see? So you want to foster both. It's very, very normal. Merit. Lots of merit. Possessing great scholarship. Quote, or quote, possessing great scholarship refers to being able to give more extensive teachings 
because of vast wisdom. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? The greater the wisdom, the greater merit, the greater the study, the greater the capacity, then the greater the ability to give exposition deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Yes? Fantastic, yes. So would merit be uh, the six paramedics? Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, except for the except for the sixth, which is wisdom. So merit is the collection of of great generosity. All these factors: energy, generosity, sila of, of virtue, so that you become very, very strong, very determined, very capable, very clear, very lucid. Um, power with it being full of love. Do you see all these all these really beautiful qualities? Lots of compassion, all these things that one needs, uh, whereas you're not rushing out just to sit on your bum. That's okay. That helps. Sometimes you do. Sometimes it's bum work. Sometimes standing. Sometimes walking. But but uh, it's not always about just being on the, the cushion. refers to being able to give more extensive teachings because of vast wisdom. The spiritual master can dispel doubt because he has profound discriminating awareness. See why the emphasis on discriminating awareness for all of you? That's where doubt goes. No fuzzy mind, cloudy mind, it's okay, uh, whatever it says in Dharma is okay, whatever the book says, this is no good. Because the way you dispel doubt is not through just intellectual rigor, is through profound understanding of the flavors of life, the verses of poetry of life, the subtle nuances of life. As, as one great person said, who I forget their name, somewhere in uh, 19, it's quoted 1905 or something, 1901, God is in the details. It's a beautiful, beautiful Christian mystical statement. God is in the details. A lot of people say, ah, you know, just big, big picture, just big, fuzzy picture. But actually, liberation is in the details. The Buddha taught that. Namja Rinpoche, who I consider a living, consider a living Buddha, he taught that. He embodied God is in the details. Yeah? This is this is the way. Discriminating awareness. Discriminating awareness. Is that the Einstein? No. 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 I'll, I'll find it. It's probably easy. Probably just Google it and come up, and come up in 1.335 seconds. <laughs> it's great. They don't have to go hunting through books and texts. It's great. Today, tonight, we were just trying to... Uh, someone said that the uh, stalks of grass out there is millet. And I... Uh, I no, it doesn't. It looks like wheat to me. I keep saying that. So finally, I just brought the laptop down. We have wireless in the house now. Just sitting there over a meal, looking out and going, Oh, great, millet. Picture of millet. It doesn't look like millet, not at all. I mean, I've, I've seen millet before. So, and then wheat, look up wheat, very similar to a type of wheat. So it's great. That was how fast, just really, really fast. Here's pictures. Um, Wikipedia has great descriptions of it. So it's, it's quite something. Quite, quite amazing. I mean, maybe somebody who's grown up in that, I still find that, not every day, but every once in a while, I just think, this is absolutely remarkable. It is absolutely, utterly remarkable to be able to search and use one's curiosity so well. I mean, sometimes I'm just sitting there and reading or something. I go, I wonder. I just go to the computer and just go, go, there it is. Fantastic. Really, really amazing. 
Okay, let's, let's, let's begin again. Possessing great scholarship refers to being able to give more extensive teachings because of vast wisdom. The spiritual master can dispel doubt because he has profound discriminating awareness. His words are acceptable because his action is pure virtue. Why is it acceptable? Because the spiritual master should, the words should be coming from the heart that's cleansed of taints of emotion. And you can only know that if your heart is to some degree cleansed of taints of emotion. Otherwise, you can't tell. Man, they were mad the other day. Everyone else goes, they weren't mad, they were just fierce. Like, uh, this would happen in, in some of Nam Jirumshri's classes where someone gets chewed out and someone goes, remember this once, uh, someone coming over who was a therapist, not to myself, but somebody else, they told me about this and said, you, you know, I think you need help and you were really chewed out. That was very heavy. Would you like some therapy over this? I said, what? That was the most beautiful, loving thing, compassion. It was? They, they can't see it. Just couldn't see it. Couldn't see how beautiful, skillfully it was done. And what was removed in that Difficult exchange. Hmm? And someone's saying, you know, you need help. Don't you need help? Aren't you emotionally beaten up? No. Actually not. Go away. But they don't have the ability to see how much love is in that. Or so peacefully loving and and kind that it's pure, it's not soppy. So you get get students going, yeah, they were just putting me on, you know. They were so nice to me. They were just, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. You're just being, you're just being, the Lama's just being kind. No, Lama's being honest. So one of the hallmarks of a Lama is, is, should be, should be, is they speak the way it is. Unless the person can't hear it. Now that might be a little bit different. But, but generally speak the way it is um, with, without taint. So the greater the realization, the less the taint. Just speak how it is. But that doesn't necessarily mean you don't couch it in ways that soften the blow. Yeah? Because some people can't hear it. How come so nice to me all the time? Well, maybe because you can't handle anything more than that. Or you don't eat it. You know, someone says, please, 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 I wish the teacher would just beat me to shreds. When are they going to come and beat me to shreds? Well, that's, maybe that's because what, that's what, exactly what you want. Expecting it all the time, right? That's what you want. Get off on being, 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 maybe what you're really worried about is being loved. Being profoundly loved. So their action is pure virtue. That comes from a very, very clean place. So really, the entire progression of, of liberation, it just gets cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and less discrepancies. So one of the definitions is whatever's going on on the inside is happening on the inside. There isn't that inner world and outer world. It's just one world. But it's clean. It gets cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. He explains the primary character... Benzene. That works really well. I'm just talking about the good old days of chemistry when people used to wash, you know, in lab, wash their hands off with benzene. Cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. With a carcinogen. Okay, just this is, this is sort of a joke you're having today, but but it's true. True. Remember that, there, Greg. Old good old days. Seriously. Using reagents without fume hoods and various solvents, just <laughs> breathing them in. 
man, that toluene's just got a wonderful flavor to it, isn't it? You get pretty high on it. Yeah, whoa. And later on, you know, 15 years later, the safety dog's going to, you know, that, that stuff kills. Just one whiff, right? One whiff and you're, you're dead. Okay. I don't mean that kind of clean. Nor do I mean Listerine. Okay. He explains the primary characteristics. The, he explains, or she explains, many great, many, many, many great bodhisattvas and great female lamas. Uh, he or she explains the primary characteristics of afflicting emotions and their purifications. It's absolutely mandatory. Not just that, you know, would you get your act together? And, you know, there's, there's, there's afflicting, you have afflicted emotions? That's nice. Well, good. Uh, purify. No, how to purify. How it's actually done. Why would that be? Because they've done it. They've had to actually do it. They've, they've been through the ringer. They've, been, they've actually had to uh, not just study it, but actually go through it. Enact the purification, and now they have enough confidence to say, this is how you do it. You have to hear the genuineness in their voice, not flippant. Well, it says in the book, uh, the method is such and such. No, this is how it's done. The third uh, aspect is portrayed in engaging in the conduct of bodhisattvas, quote, uh, from the engaging in the conduct of bodhisattvas, quote, a spiritual master is always expert in the Mahayana teachings. He will not abandon the bodhisattva's vow, even at the risk of his own life. In other words, never give up the vow of liberating um, others and oneself. Just won't. Just won't. Lose their life because of it. Not, not, in other words, not afraid to lose their life to, to serve uh, other beings. In other words, a spiritual master is learned in the Mahayana vehicle and holds the Bodhisattva's vow. So on uh, the 26th, some of you for the first time will actually be making a commitment or vow to unfold fully the Bodhisattva path. Did you know that? But a being that's actually attained to those, some of those levels uh, is so imbued with that 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 is their life. That's not something they think about. That's just what they do. And it may mean losing their life to, to uh, liberate other beings. Method. Number four. When this kind of authentic spiritual master is found, there are three ways to attend him or her. These are... A. Attending him or her through respect and service. B. Attending him through devotion and reverence. And C. Attending him or her through practice and persistence in the teachings. So sometimes one, you know the word attend? We, we, we discussed that this morning, yes? One attends through coming to Dharma talks. One attends to being in meditative retreat and following those instructions and fulfilling meditative work. Sometimes one's attends in terms of service and, and, and just respect, just to respect the teacher. Maybe go and show the respect. Um, see? Many ways of doing this. Respect and service, A. The first has two subdivisions. Attending him or her through respect means doing prostration, standing quickly, bowing down, circumnambulating, expressing yourself with a feeling of closeness at the right time, gazing at him, gazing at him on and off without satiation. 
<laughs> Ever seen that? Ever seen that in class? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's where I try to get a frog. Toads? gazing on him, on and off, without satiation, and so forth. And uh, then gives an example. Uh, the example is how Sudana, the son of a merchant, you, you, that's a chapter in here, uh, his life story, or his biography, attended his spiritual masters. So, um, be careful about this. I, I don't mind people doing prostrations, but I, like, I, I don't ever insist on it because I like it to be natural. Um, some I do. Occasionally I'll say to somebody, who has been studying with me for a while or is doing service, actually be good to do prostrations. Why? Uh, it may, I won't really, but, but it may to be to do with the defilement in their mind stream that that would be very beneficial for them to do prostrations when they see a teacher. Others uh, is not necessary. The honor, the respect is there for the teacher. You see what I mean? This is, this is, so, so I don't, I insist on it. I, as, you, as you grow and you uh, have more confidence in Dharma, I, after a while, insist on it uh, at one course. But um, I, uh, for me, every time I saw Namjoon Rinpoche, unless it was a public space, every, the first time of seeing my teacher in the day, I always do uh, uh, prostrations, either full prostrations or short prostrations, and I still do that with teachers that I give honor to. It doesn't, doesn't matter. I still do it. I might even do it two or three times a day. It's, it's very good. I, I'm, I'm, I've been told I, I don't need to do it, but, but um, I do it. I do it also to show other people that it should be done. Yes. And, and it's very, very good for developing humility, removing pride, and uh, getting down and saying the teaching, uh, the teaching, the teacher, and the sangha is worthy of profound respect. For me, it is, I don't mind at all doing that with my body. I don't have a problem. I've been doing that uh, now for 40-some-odd years. I did that a long time ago. There was never a question in my mind to do that. But you see, with a, in a monastic tradition, that uh, as a, um, a monk or a nun, uh, growing up as I, I did, with Namjoon Rinpoche, who was a monk, uh, you just by tradition, every single morning you wake up. That's what you do. What first thing? First thing before anything else uh, is uh, three prostrations. Why? To set the mind right is the Buddha Dharma Sangha. And this is profound. It's wonderful. That's the first thing you do. Is you uh, do prostrations. The teacher. I don't insist on. It. I don't, when I went to Ger- you know, Germany, and uh, some people see who are from the outside uh, see that the students don't do it. They they get ticked really ticked off. I go well. Uh, I don't like Westerners doing some of this, this stuff unless they actually feel it. Do you know what I mean? Feel it. And some of them feel it, but don't do it. Do you see what I mean? They're actually, you know, so, so just, just take this with a, uh, not a grain of salt. There's great meaning in it. But um, when it's phony, you know, over-adjuration, phony devotion, Doing prostrations because you're going to be seen. You know, all these games, I get to see a lot of this stuff. Not, not with me, but with other. I go, oh, I don't want any of that. That's why I say to people, I say, well, how should you act with a teacher, with me? Just respect 
kindness and awareness and all sorts itself out. Kindness, respect for the Dharma, uh, as this is representation of the Dharma, and more and more discriminating awareness just sorts it all out beautifully, as far as I'm concerned. If you do something on the outer level, I want to make sure it's happening on the inner level. So there could be a whole room full of people doing prostrations, but I might just, that's enough, get out of here. Because the mind may not be in sync with that. Or, or the being doesn't want to do it. If the being doesn't want to do it, then don't do it. Shouldn't be forced to do it. But then there are some that should be forced to do it. Because their pride and arrogance is so high. Yeah, do prostrations. You do prostrations. You need to. Well, I don't want to do prostrations. Good one, goodbye. If you can't do a prostration to another being, right? you can't go do a prostration to your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, or somebody on the street, then I don't, you know, you've got a problem. Why shouldn't you be able to? They're Buddhists. should be able to. But then you have to recognize who, who is worthy of that. Yes? Maybe another, maybe another time. Maybe another time. As I said, I'm very careful. I'm absolutely uh, very, very careful not to. Um, what's the word? In any way, uh, push or promote or, or or instigate these traditions unless they're natural in the being. So if, you, if someone asks me, says, I would like to do prostrations, is that okay? Uh, I'll, I'll go yes. I might even say no, if it's not, not uh, right. But if it, if it is right, and the being wants to do it, and they feel it's very good, then I'm, I'm very happy if it's, if it's right. Okay? Yeah. And then you have to know when it's appropriate. So when you get off at the corner of Camby and, uh, and Sixth, and the teacher steps out of a car, and then you know, five or six people are now doing full prostrations. This is not appropriate. It may be appropriate in Kathmandu or India, but not in, necessarily in Vancouver. So you have to know when it's appropriate and when it's the right time, and, and so on. Often done privately. So it's better if it's sometimes done privately, or if it's in, it's in, in a shrine room or in a, before a class, this kind of thing. Okay. There are times. Quote from the planting, the noble stock sutra says, one should never be satisfied by gazing at the spiritual master because it's difficult to see spiritual masters. It is rare for them to appear on the earth and it's difficult to meet them. So basically, so is it gazing adoration? Uh, well, I'm a Westerner. Gazing with discernment. Gazing with uh, kindness, gazing with open heart and open mind, which means the eyes are open instead of being like this for most of the class. Oh yeah, get those. Not sleep, just... Or the ones doing rosaries the entire class? Because the rosary is more important than the Lama. This course. Ever seen that? Especially if they're coming from another teacher. It's a way of saying, you're not any good, you're not any good, you're not any good. <laughs> <laughs>
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a defensive mode. I'm saying mantras because mantras are more important than the actual words of a lama or a teacher. I'm mumbling away, making noise. The games that go on are extraordinary. The pass aggressiveness is immense. The delusion is vast. Most of it, one just goes. Uh, Nero Wolf would say, poofy, poofy. Or as uh, Inspector Kramer would say, nuts. If you, if you have a feeling and you have a, co- a cognition, a clarity to realize how rare and precious it is for a, uh, a qualified teacher, a realized teacher to appear on the planet, not just a guru, but an actual real living embodiment of, of the Dharma liberation, uh, then uh, this, is, this is precious. And, uh, so I, 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 never, I don't tell people how you should gaze. Now, the way you gaze is you sit. Just like this, right? But I, I really enjoy when people sort it out. They begin to go, oh, this is what respect is. This is a natural etiquette, natural manners. It's, it's really good. I like that. And not aping a culture because, oh, that's the way they do it. But maybe finding out why, and that might make sense. Might make sense. Or if you're in that culture, then do it because it's, it's giving honor to that culture. Hmm? Sense. Attending the spiritual master through service, quotes, it says, attending the spiritual master, quote, through service means to offer him or her dharmic food, clothes, Dharmic food, supportive dharma, food of supportive dharma. Uh, good food, that means food that uh, sustains. Clothes, bedding, seats. Airplane seats, please. <laughs> Just kidding. But seats, uh, as you offer a seat, you provide a seat, you provide a comfortable seat, you provide an off, honorific seat. So if the teacher is coming, uh, and this happens, uh, you are... Uh, put out for them the cheapest green plastic uh, lawn chair that you can get, which is a $9 chair, and then the students sit in the real good ones. Have I seen this? Yes. What does that tell me? A lot. You see? Or a rickety chair. So teacher's now sitting on a rickety chair. Uh, you know, they're, they're basically almost ready to fall over because the chair or the chair has spikes. Oh, I'm just kidding. But, but uncomfortable, or nobody ever sat in it. They just got it and brought it over, and you know, because teachers can sit in anything, right? But it's actually really uncomfortable to sit there. So and this happens. This really, really happens. So this is what it means: a good seat, an honorific seat. Yeah. If my teacher, one of my teachers, was coming, I would go and find the most beautiful seat that I that I could find, well upholstered, beautiful fabric, comfortable. Why? Because it's it's honoring the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. It's very precious. So I would want to find the most beautiful chair. Not just the most beautiful chair, but a comfortable chair so they're comfortable. And good food. Clothes. Make sure they have clothes. They have bedding. They have medicine. They're actually able to be... They have sufficient medicine. And all other types of necessary things even at the risk of one's body and life. Well, you may not be there yet, but 
The example is the way Sada Parudita attended spiritual masters. There's a biography or there's a, a history there in the text. It is stated in Sri Sambhava's life history, quote, the enlightenment of a Buddha will be achieved through service to spiritual masters. It, the, so let me, now I'm, I'm always a little bit careful about this with Westerners. Because Westerners are suspicious, a suspicious lot. So if a Dharma teacher now says that one of the most direct ways to gain uh, merit is through a service to a spiritual uh, master, is like a, uh, to a Westerner, is like a car salesman uh, who's on a BMW lot saying the only car to buy is a BMW and a 503 or whatever is the one. Do you know what I'm saying? For a Western mind. Because you're not brought up in that tradition. But as a Westerner who uh, served uh, and had the great fortune to be an attendant and serve Namjoon uh, Rinpoche uh, and, and other teachers for many, many, many years of my life, uh, I can, as a Westerner and, as you know, a, a fairly uh, logical or critical mind, uh, say out of my experience for the benefits it gave me and gave others, not because of what I will receive. I hope you know that. It's not, not for this being. Uh, but out of that experience, I would agree with the text, 100 or 2 or 300 percent, that the merit gained through generosity to the teaching teacher to support the mandala of teaching happening for the benefit of beings, to make it easy and comfortable and healthy and so on, for the teaching to ensue is the fastest way and the greatest way to build merit. I've said it. So I hope you don't feel I'm being a salesman. Not about me. Okay? Not about me. It's an ordinary being. But uh, I, I know no more supreme way than to extend your generosity to the, uh, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And in Vajrayana, that takes the form of the Lama. It's fantastic practice. If you can't do that, then there's weakness and merit. Does it make sense? If you can't do that, there's a, there's a weakness and merit. Why? Because you can't extend yourself out beyond your boundaries. That's what we want to see. This is, this, is, this is profound. I was just reading a little bit in, in Tales, of, what is it, Tales of the Awakened? Or? Tales of Awakening. Tales of Awakening. This is lovely of a um, very good, dear friend of mine uh, in there. I won't say who, I won't, Mark Eisenberg, but lovely. I've know, known Mark for many, many years. Totally devoted towards uh, Nam Jirinpache service and, and saying uh, endless errands, <laughs> endless shopping. So Mark would come over and join us for the weekend and even coming over to visit. Uh, endless cooking, endless shopping, sourcing food for the week, for the weekend, you know, finding a rare type of organic chicken or, you know, something that's going to be made for a Persian meal that weekend or sourcing this or sourcing this, you know. So, so um, 
uh, endless service and enjoying every moment of it. Just enjoying it. Just doesn't matter what it is. Just enjoying it. Back and forth, 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 back and forth. I can tell you lots of stories. I can go on all night with those stories. But this is, to me, is beautiful. Like some of the most uh, absurd things, like the, the time, I will say, that Namjur Mishra decided to acquire um, all the operas of the world, but not as parts, just uh, original operas, full thing. Because he wanted to listen to full operas. So he thought, you know, it wouldn't be that much to do. So we uh, embarked on this mission to acquire all of the operas. Well, it wasn't just a hundred CDs. It went on, and because I found, I found somebody, or he found somebody, anyway, I did, in Toronto, who was an expert, and he ran a store. So this guy now had a, like a, a bone, you know, and, and an income source, of course. To, to, to find every single original full opera that was ever made. And he did. And month after month after month, they kept rolling in. And, yep, we'll pay for them. Yep, we'll pay for them. Yep. And he wasn't going to give up. And in my bedroom, there was a rack that grew and grew and grew of plastic CDs. And grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. Of the most esoteric operas, the most classic operas. And it was the whole wall. 800. Or 600. I think it was 800, because we did the count. We did, had an inventory on the computer. Was it absurd? You see, for my humble heart, it simply didn't matter. I enjoyed it. No matter what the cost, what the... didn't matter. It was simply the act of service that was so beautiful of fulfilling this vision. Not my vision. I, it didn't matter if I liked the opera. I, I used to listen at night. I put my earphones on a little CD. So often I'd pull one out like this. I could just go like this, undo the wrapper, right? Put it in the machine and go. Let me pull it a good La Traviata, you know, something like that, right? But then I'd try another one. Like, German post World War II. Oh, Put it back, but the rappers would, you know, build up. I, I never got through even a, a tenth of them, you know. So, so, but I loved it. I just loved it. Why? It didn't simply didn't matter. It was the act of letting go into the mind of a llama that was curious. The curiosity factor of, can we do this? See, that's that's why I love. One of the things I love about Namjurin is, could we do it? Like the time he said. This was about a year before he passed away. You know, we had, he had something like 16 telescopes at that time. He had collected 16 telescopes. There were telescopes all over the place. I wish we only used one or two. Now there's 16 telescopes. Well, I can tell you about telescope stories. But that's, that's another. That's, that's a good hour. So one day he said to me, um, he was reading a telescope magazine, you know, an astronomy magazine, and he saw these domes. He, says, uh, he said to me, what do you think about a... A dome, an observatory. I said, great idea. <laughs> Look at these, eh? Why don't you go online and just start to get some prices of, put up an observatory in the back backyard. He said, what would be involved? Well, I'll do the research. Uh, you know, what trees need to be cleared and this sort of thing. And somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is a major project to put up an observatory in Canmount with the trees like this. It was great. I loved it. I'm on every night right here. I'm teaching and cooking and this. And my spare time is now on the internet, communicating with people. Cost of how big they are, what we'll need, concrete pad. Uh, you know, it's cold up there. How we handle minus you know 30. You know all these things and. And this is great. And what telescope's going to go in there? You know, so so I, I loved it. I go, what what else there to do? You got nothing, you know, something better to do? It's called Guru Yoga. So I'll just give you a Oh, look, almost finished here. It's good. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful section. Devotion reverence. To attend him through devotion reverence means that one should regard the spiritual master as the Buddha. Now, this is misunderstood by a lot of people. To regard the spiritual master, the Buddha, is a very, very speedy way for you to recognize the Buddha nature in you. I don't know a faster way. Because if you don't treat the, uh, someone with the reverence, respect, interest, and discriminative awareness to see the Buddha nature you will have a very hard time doing it in yourself and other people. The resultant of recognizing the Buddha in the spiritual master who may not be a fully enlightened being, doesn't matter, means that eventually not only do you get to recognize it in yourself because you have to develop the discriminating awareness and wisdom to penetrate it in the other as well as yourself, confers the ability then naturally to see it in all sentient beings. This is, this is guru, practice guru yoga, tantric guru yoga. It, it, uh, it's going to be very hard if you don't because the, bo- the, the boundaries, the obstacles of surrender, are, of not surrendering to that are very high. So even if, I'm speaking classically, I'm just, by the way, all this classic, even if the teacher is not a fully awakened being, one still practices as if they are. Why? Because it draws you closer and closer and closer and closer to see the attributes of liberation. Even if they don't display every one of them and occasionally they pick their nose or, you know, because Buddhas never do that, right? They wouldn't ever stick their ear, their, their ear in their finger, would they? <laughs> they wouldn't stick their finger in their ear or their ear in their finger, would they? They wouldn't do that. So can you cut through the personality? Can you see beyond the physical characteristics? Can you see uh, and deeper and deeper and deeper penetrate the mind of awareness of the other until it breaks through both for them and for you and there becomes a unity experience of the guru mind? Hmm? Understand? And then that opens to being able to experience it and the preciousness of the awake mind, of the potential awake mind in other beings. That's why, that's why it's done. One should not disobey his or her teachings. Now, how do you disobey properly? You can. You're allowed to disobey. It's traditional. You can disobey. How do you disobey? If a teacher says, this is what you should do, or I want you to do this, or I'd like you to do this, please, or gives out teaching, 
uh, and says, here's the meditation, carry on, and you don't want to do it, how would you do it? How would you go about that? You would respectfully have a discussion with them, or you go and you ask them, and you say, here's the reasons why I, I can't do this, or I don't want to do this. I respect. And they might say, good, well then carry on and do it anyways. Or, or that sounds like a very valid reason uh, why you shouldn't. Yeah, you got a good point. For you, maybe you shouldn't do that. You see? That's called maturity, as opposed to, I don't want to do it, and uh, actually I'm pissed off because it's something I don't want to do. And, um, you know, and mope around. Mope around the house or the retreat environment or the world for years saying, well, I don't want to do that. What, what right does that person have to tell me what to do? Well, if you disagree, then you can either send an email respectfully or ask them and say, well, I, I find it difficult to do that. Or here's why I don't feel like doing it. Or I'm scared. Or I'm nervous. I'm worried. Or... Um, uh, digging uh, a large hole underneath my house to find a gold, uh, a gold vein or platinum deposit m may lead to the sinking of my house in the hole, you know, something like that. Oh, okay, well, that's a good point. Maybe you want to use trusses and get an engineer in there you know, to, to do that. Like in Roslyn, right? Like in Roslyn. I could just see that in your house. You know? The teacher says, well, you know, I have a pretty good suspicion there's a lot of gold under your house. How would that be as an intuitive, psychic <laughs> thing, right? A lot of gold under your house, and if you start digging tunnels under your house, well, you'll probably open up the tunnel that's underneath your house, and your house will fall down. So you don't really want to do that. Yeah. Rosalind is this, the town of Rosalind is riddled with tunnels from gold, the gold mine there. Yeah, just riddled, riddled. The whole mountain is riddled with, with um, tunnels. And there's gold, yes. There's still gold there. Lots, lots of gold. Guess what? Is the price of gold gone up enough for them to start mining, or is, why tried, aren't they? They tried about five years ago, but they couldn't make a gold one of the mines. Ah, it's still going up, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's carry on. One should develop devotion, respect, and a clear mind. The word devotion. Oh. Oh, get that right. Find out what devotion means. Devoting yourself to a study. Devoting yourself to an interest. Devoting yourself to Buddhahood. Devoting yourself to the, the goal. Devoting, 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 devoting. It's very beautiful. It's a very beautiful feeling when you know how to devote your energies to something. And then... Uh, uh, devote yourself to another being, devote yourself to a spiritual teacher uh, where you care for them. You, you want to support their health and welfare so the teaching, is, this is beautiful. It's a beautiful feeling. It's a beautiful, beautiful quality. Respect, that is, means naturally, it's not, not weird respect. You know the one? Phony weirdo respect. No, we don't need phony weirdo respect. Just natural, good, common sense, down home, uh, even mindedness of how you have respect for another being. I'll tell you sometimes. I point this out occasionally, but maybe not enough. 
sometimes I see students treating uh, the Dharma teacher and the teacher worse than they would, far worse than a good friend. Far worse. It's amazing. The aggression that comes out sometimes. The one-upmanship. The um, feeling of uh, um, potential fear around uh, supporting the Dharma or supporting the teacher or being devoted can come out as uh, almost treating the teacher... By the way, I'm not talking about you folks at all. Uh, treating the teacher in some ways worse than you would treat a, a, a close friend or an honored friend. It's amazing. It gets weird. So. And a clear mind. One should develop devotion, respect, and a clear mind. They just snuck that one in there. But you can see a clear mind is really important, yes? So it's not... Why is that word clear mind in there? Because you can have sloppy, stupid devotion, soppy devotion, reverence that's a mess. Uh, you can have respect that is not clean. It's a weird respect. It's aggressive respect. It's, it's greedy respect. It's falling in love with the teacher, not uh, a kind of a respect, or hating the teacher, but going along with, you know, all kinds of games like this. So clear mind means what? Clear, discriminating appreciation of really what it is. And then devotion and respect is clean. It feels clean. It feels good. It's an open heart. It's not soppy. It's not wet. It's not gooey. It just feels so darn good. And it's respect of human beings. This is, this is beautiful. But that can take time. The example is the manner in which Naropa attended his spiritual masters. The, the, the mother of the victorious ones, perfection of wisdom, Sutra says, you should persistently, repeatedly, and constantly revere spiritual masters, be very generous with them, and cherish them. Furthermore, one should avoid wrong view towards the skillful actions of spiritual masters. So sometimes one doesn't understand why a teacher is doing what they're doing. Instead of just criticizing or hearing all the gossip, actually think about maybe it was a done out of compassion. If it wasn't, but maybe it actually was. Because you don't know. I've heard stuff where I've had to say to people, you know what you're talking about? I'm one of the only people that actually know. So enough is enough. Be quiet. You don't, you don't have a clue. Stop the, stop the story. Stop the gossip. But that doesn't mean that there aren't um, teachers that do uh, some not such good things. You should persistently, repeatedly, and constantly revere spiritual master, be very generous with them, and cherish them. Furthermore, one should avoid wrong view, that means corrupted view, delusional view, towards the skillful actions of spiritual masters. Instead, one should respect them highly. For an example, refer to the life story of King Anala. A little bit more. Well, I think, yes, I think tomorrow night, that's a, tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, tomorrow morning we'll uh, take a break, okay? And, uh, let's complete this tonight, okay? Tomorrow morning a break and come back uh, in the evening, uh, tomorrow evening. 
Practice and persistence. Attending him through practice and persistence of the teachings means to truly integrate and practice the teachings of the spiritual master through hearing, contemplation, meditation practice, and through perseverance. Beautiful. So you will give honor to a teacher if you actually practice. In other words, if they give out practices and say, this would be very good for you to do, and you actually do it to the capability that you can do it, you're giving very, very high honor. So people say, well, the only way I can give honor is by service or giving money. or No, actually, liberation. Liberation, awakening, compassion for other beings is supreme. That's, that's, really, that's all the teacher wants is to see uh, beings wake up and uh, fulfill their, um, what, what's, what's been given to them. Which is which is a life of awakeness and compassion. This is this is supreme. To truly integrate the practice, the teaching, of the spiritual master through hearing, contemplation, meditation practice, and through persistence, this will make the spiritual master master supremely pleased. It's so beautiful to see people unfold. <laughs> 